The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting from beautiful Burbank, California, this is the Napsock Files, a Saturday night special edition. Just me and you hanging out, talking, listening. You're listening, I'm talking. All right, that's not a fair deal. Here's the deal. Saturday Night Special is uh, the programming that I put out on Saturday night, but you might listen to it on a Sunday morning, a Monday afternoon, or a Tuesday evening. But the concept is uh, me just loosening the chains a little bit. We had some great interviews recently. I hope you all had a chance to listen to the interview with Ryan Azevedo, uh, co-director of the new YouTube's, uh, YouTube Originals documentary, Claire, the story of Claire Wineland. Uh, a great interview, inspirational story, um, I don't, not a tough doc to watch, but it's emotional. Makes you think, and you get inspired. But it, uh, it's it's a you know about someone who passes away and the lessons you can learn from that. So the interview was was uh, different than something we would normally do around the Napsack Files. I hope you had a chance to listen to it, and I hope you have a chance to check out that documentary, uh, co-directed by my friend Ryan Acevedo. So thanks again for that. Uh, we're having a lot of fun here on the Napsack Files on Saturday Night Specials. Weird characters, different shows, baseball talk. We do have a second edition of Behind the Bag coming up with me and Tom Dagnino working on that in uh, the next few days. But uh, tonight it's me, and uh, I wanted to talk. I used this uh, format and form just to talk openly. Hey, play some clips of stand-up comedy. My stand-up. The reason being is this coming week at the time of this recording on Thursday night, September 12th, I will be at the Comedy Store, the Belly Room, part of the first Mark Ellis and Friends show at the Comedy Store. More to come. I'm on this one, and I'm doing a a set of stand-up comedy. And on one hand, that's no big deal. Stand-up comedy is done everywhere, all over the world, every night, 365, and at the Comedy Store. They're very proud of the 365 Come on by Christmas Day, Thanksgiving, New Year's type of thing over there. But this is so why it's normal. A dude doing stand-up, a person doing stand-up. Well, that's happening. Um, it's it's a kind of a big deal for me. So it's a little milestone things, returning to stand-up comedy. Now, I have been on the road with Mark Ellis. Now, I said no, no, I'm not on like a, in, a, in a classic sense of on the road with stand-up comedy, but over the last year... Beginning with uh, Comic Con 2018, me and Josh McCuga co-hosting the shows with him. Uh, then, by the time we got around to the shows in San Francisco and Houston, I was back doing it by myself, and that is a new, new thing and a weird thing. I got to tell you, it is uh, weirder. It's weird. It's weird for me to think that I'm back doing stand-up comedy. I was determined, stubbornly not to do it again when I finally stepped away from it, what I thought was for the end. And in about 2010, I want to say April 2010, I wasn't supposed to be on a show that night, but I went up with my pal Lou Santini to Oxenart. And my pal Joe Ruggiero was booked on the show. Lou was booked on the show. And we went up there, and I just was going to support, night out with some friends, light crowd, um... The bookers were, hey, you know, you want to do some time? I was like, nah. Lou was like, he wants to do some time. So I got my little post-it note set list out 
and said, all right, we're going to play along with this. We're going to do this. And I had a great time. Actually, had a great night. And it was just like, we're talking like 15 people at the most. And I killed. And I remember getting off and thinking, all right, that, that felt good. But I think I'm done. I think I'm done. And coincidentally, that was my friend Joe's last set, too, uh, in, in, in his run of stand-up comedy for the, like, the opposite reasons. He didn't do as well. And he got off stage and was like, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. I did do another set. Mark Ellis, who's always trying to pull me back. Oh, that Mark Ellis. So good at that. Uh, La Jolla, the comedy store in La Jolla. A few Comic-Cons ago. The Wednesday night, we went down. We did a set. I, I did about 10 minutes. And I'll tell you what, the last five were okay. The first five were some of the worst stand-up comedy I had ever performed. And that's saying something. So the mixed feelings and just... As a performer, you focus on that first five, right? The negative things are harder to believe. That's what we learned from the movie Pretty Woman and a lot of places in life, right? So the bad stuff is truly harder to believe. And I just focused on those first ten, uh, five minutes of this 10-minute set, forgetting that they, I found my footing a little bit. And actually kind of literally, I, my knees almost locked and I felt I was going to pass out. That's how bad the first set First five minutes of that set were. So I, I told Mark after that, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. That was really fun. Uh, we're never going to do that again. And that did last for a long time. But I think, you know, it's not a good life lesson. You don't want to lock yourself in. And I'm excited to be back. It was nice to be back doing shows, co-hosting with Josh. And we're still uh, doing that. Um, we got uh, some stuff coming up in Washington, D.C. I think one of the shows will be co-hosted by us. I'll be doing a set in the later show. But um, don't hold me to that. We're trying to work all that out. But. It was a good way to get back on stage. And I was joke. Mark was trying to trick me, just finding my feet on a comedy stage again. But it felt good. And where at first, Josh and I, you know, we still don't really plan much. But we were totally winging it to suddenly we're like, hey, remember that thing we said uh, in San Diego? Let's let's do it again here in Seattle. Remember that thing that worked last night? It's, so we started forming bits. And that's when your comedy brain starts I think starts kind of getting together, starts kind of forming, uh, forming thoughts, forming bits, forming jokes, forming things that you know work, and that's what comics love. Yeah, sometimes it's a high wire act. You go out and about, but it is good to know what you're going to say and that what you're going to say works. And so when Josh and I started hitting on things, it was just natural. And then the brain started working, the muscle memory returned, and when I knew I was going to be doing a set, and this is also how I, I work, I knew I was going to be doing a set in San Francisco, we knew Josh wasn't coming, I was going to host the show, do 20 minutes up top, and it's like, oh, I'll figure it out, I'll figure it out. I'll do some of the bits that Josh and I use, just kind of tinker it to be by myself and everything. And little bit like we got on the plane, Burbank Airport to the San Francisco Airport, that's not a long flight, but I got a little notepad. And I just started thinking, and I just started writing in a way that I've never written jokes before. And that really was when I felt, I think it's time to do this again, and I'm actually excited. So it's kind of a big deal for me to return to the comedy store, the belly room, the upstairs showroom. There's the main room, the original room, belly rooms. Uh, uh, really, one of the only it's the only stage I've actually performed at the comedy store. I've been on the. Uh, uh, original room for Schmodown Awards, which was interesting. That's, you know, not everyone gets there. And there was some wonderful, talented people involved with the Schmodown who were getting to go on that stage, not to do stand-up comedy, but but to perform, to receive awards for the Schmodown. And it was just kind of like, do you know what? This is this is kind of rare. This is this is this is a good thing, a rare thing. And, and everyone had a lot of fun, but I was, I've never been on that stage as a comic. Um, but I'm excited to be back. 
And hopefully some of you listening are going to get to go to that. But it just got me thinking here on Saturday Night Special. I wanted to talk about some of my memories in doing stand-up comedy. Uh, share some little sound clips. I got some clips queued up. We'll walk down memory lane, but also some insight into how I approach comedy now, then, how it worked, how it failed, uh, and a lot of those things. I was doing sketch comedy, uh, improv, training at the Groundlings, all those kind of things, and that was my focus. I had thought about doing stand-up growing up. In fact, I think I told people in high school, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to be a comic. Um, but uh, that, that is, it's easier said than done, number one. And I wish I'd had a little more confidence early on and really roll up my sleeve, fail, and, and go at it again and, and just kind of learn how to do stand-up comedy at a younger age. But it didn't work out that way, and you can't go back. Um, oh, sketch, character work. That's what I loved doing, and that's what I'm rediscovering, too. I love the, some of the shows we do here in the Saturday Night Special, Dutch Allen, Mysteries the Unexplained, uh, the, the Motivations character, uh, Motivations version of me. These are characters, and it's kind of me branching back on, into that world, and I'm excited about that, too. But I never, once I really got down here in L.A., and I really, really was in the trenches of sketch comedy, I was like, I, I don't like stand-up. Which is, I grew up, yes, I grew up watching Saturday Night Live and being influenced by Kids in the Hall and Monty Python. But uh, one of my, some of my great memories of, of my youth is my dad and I uh, sitting watching stand-up comedy on uh, Fox. Um, live in the Sunset Strip, uh, they, they had um, a show every Saturday night. Uh, Gary Kroger hosted for a while. Uh, I think Wayne Cotter was the other host. And, like... I, so it's weird that I take that weird stance of uh, I don't like stand-up comedy. There's nothing. Uh, I don't know where now. I don't. I don't see it as much now. Not in sketch at all anymore. But it always sometimes seemed like there was a weird competition. Uh, either you're a sketch comic and you're you know you do improv and you're in that circuit, or you do stand-up comedy and never the two shall meet. Which wasn't even true at the time. But sometimes that was the feel, and it was weird to see a stand-up doing sketch and improv uh, at the groundlings and the training courses and everything. I had a few of them, uh, uh, friend, friends of mine, a British guy, I think his name was Perry. Uh, I think it was his name. And he was real funny and, and uh, come out and uh, but he couldn't kind of unlock sketch. And it was a, a stand up at heart. And we used to joke about that. So I just naturally formed this, like, I'm not going to do it. I can't do stand up comedy. But when my sketch comedy days ended by, by final, uh, go around at the Groundlings training program. I, I was doing stand up with Peter Sprite and Brian Keith Etheridge. Excuse me, I was doing sketch with Peter Sprite and Brian Keith Etheridge, who were really accomplished stand up comics. And they were kind of encouraging me, especially when I knew that uh, my time in the sketch world was coming to a close and I wasn't going to be allowed to train there anymore or move on. They both pulled me aside and said, We really think you need to do stand up. And, and, and my director, Karen Mariama, said, yeah, you should do that. Like, I'd love to hear your point of view on things. And that's when I thought, oh, that's what stand-up comedy is. It's my point of view on things. I get, I'm not playing a character. It's me. And I went into it. I went in in a big way. And my first show was in March of 2003 in a show put on by Peter Sprite and Brian Irwin. And we had a lot of people in our groundlings class doing uh, stand-up. Uh, Hayes Hargrove, Melinda Hill, Andrew Hotry, Kira Sultanovich, who uh, was just a friend of the show, uh, popped in and, and did some uh, great stuff. It was a great night, and I did well. And uh, that is uh, the worst thing that can happen, your first set going well, because uh, it's not real. It doesn't count. And my friend Peter Sprite always told me the first 100 do not count. No matter if you're successful, no matter if you're a failure, the first 100 do not count. You got to 
You got to get in your reps and you got to feel it out. Don't believe the hype, but don't believe the lows. And that's easy to forget. By my second show, I think my second show was an open mic that I, Peter and I drove out to. He was very, very great. Drove me out to this open mic in Westwood. Uh, a guy named Vance Saunders uh, did this very successful open mic for a while where a lot of comics, a lot of big names were there. Uh, I remember Chris Hardwick there at the time, some of their big names. And it was intimidating as all hell. And I got up there for my second time, having just killed at the comedy store. And I got up there with my prepared little jokes, memorized, tight script, and I ran through it to no laughter. I mean, none. A dead room. Eyes just staring at me. Judgment. Scorn, even. And I powered through. Every word memorized, every word rehearsed, every beat, every pause for laughter. And I went back to the seat, cold sweat, not even flop sweat. We're talking, I was like, I'd seen a ghost. Peter knew, Peter knew. He sat down and said, no, 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 that was a success because you did it. And you were up against all of this and all of these names and all these comics these seasoned veterans who are just doing this thing and hanging out and working things out and telling stories and making everyone laugh, but you did it and you didn't blink and you did it. And and that was a valuable lesson, but it scared me, haunted me. Uh, The third time I did a little stand-up comedy contest, it wasn't even like a stand-up, it was a weird, like creative contest, but I did stand-up and didn't place. And you start to question yourself because you're funny. You know you're funny. You make people laugh. And you know it's supposed to be put into something. It's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be uh, an act. Uh, bits, jokes, beats, everything. So you know that's supposed to happen. But it, it really shakes your confidence. And it's confusing. And it makes you angry. Because everyone in the audience is forming an opinion of you and your humor. And it's really tough. And so I fought through those first few years until I started finding a regular group to play, uh, uh, play along with uh, a group, uh, Rebels of Comedy, which split off at one point. And uh, a friend of ours started a, a sub, <laughs> a subgroup called White Boy Comedy, which I'm sure that name now, uh, you know, it's not that it wouldn't fly, just would raise more eyebrows than it did back then. But it was Mark's. It was just like, I'm just, I'm just white boy from, from outside of Boston. And that's, that's my comedy. And he, he said, it was like, it was my dream to start this comedy, white boy comedy production. So we did it and we did it. We did shows for years. And that's where I met a lot of great people. People like Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis, got to know Lou Santini, eventually became one of my best friends and a uh, roommate, my friend Tom Connolly, Michael Beatrice. A lot of people have been on the Knapsack Files. Uh, got to see these people perform comedy every night. Uh, Amy Claire, Lisa Goffman, uh, Kate Mulligan, uh, Eliza Schlesinger was there. I, I hosted her third show in L.A. Uh, my friend Tim Powers brought her out. And then my friend Tim and a lot of other folks. Through stand-up, I met uh, one of my best friends and my writing partner, Matt Key. Uh, his roommate at the time, Josh Padgett, who has great, great humor. Uh, great offbeat humor uh, that I loved. Uh, my uh, friend and uh, roommate at one point, Sam Ventura. My roommate at one point, Craig Spivak. People who I just admired what they did on stage. We got to see it every Every week, talented people. Kirstanovich, like I said, uh, uh, Jamie Kaler, one of the regulars as well. And it was a great crew to get your reps in every week. And I started hosting and started honing my craft as a host, which actually kind of did affect me as a stand-up comic. 
Uh, I did stop doing shows at the comedy store after a while, and this is why it's a, it's an interesting deal for me, uh, and an exciting deal for me to actually return to the comedy store to conquer some fears, to conquer some fears. Um, I started first at the comedy store. That's the first, in March 2003 was the Bella Room at the comedy store, and I started doing shows regularly for my friend Brian Irwin there. Uh, bringer shows, which means you have to, you know, you bring three or five people, and we'll give, you, we'll give you six minutes if you don't, you know, maybe three minutes, four minutes. And it's it's a frustrating part of the business, but it's part of the business, and that, that is just what it is. But uh, my friend Brian Keith, Keith Etheridge always told me, every show's a bringer show. No matter how big you are, headliner, you're bringing people. If you don't have people... You don't have an audience, and that's what we need. So change your attitude on those shows. And so it is uh, a lot of you'll hear a lot of comics complain about it, but it is what it is. Um, and it was fun. I, I uh, it's uh, where I actually first met Mark Ellis was at the comedy store when he was applying his trade and cutting his teeth. My friend Joey Rockenstein uh, was over there uh, again. That's where I met Lou the, actually the first time. Um, but after a while. I just I just emerged from sketch comedy, and that's a close knit kind of group. It's like more of a theater company vibe. Uh, you work with these people, you you trust them. You're you're an improv. The audiences are more forgiving too. If you go see an improv show, you know that uh, the performers are flying by the seat of their pants. So you give them maybe a little more leeway for things that don't work or not as funny, and you, you reward them for the effort sometimes more than the output. And then, again, as performers, you're trained to trust. You're trained to help each other. You're trained to move the whole scene forward together. And you feel good, and, and partnerships are formed. Friendships are formed. Relationships are formed. Marriages happen. That's the power of sketch comedy and improv. Oh, not so much in stand-up, especially at the comedy store. A historic place, to be sure, but I used to call it a dark din of iniquity in comedy. It was tough. It was intimidating. The names on the walls are, the, are those of legends, but there's also people who are regulars with their names on the wall working, climbing, and you've got to break through those ranks. And I, I withered early on. And by 2004 or five, I really didn't go there anymore, and I didn't really perform there anymore, and I was shocked. I remember sitting in the green room uh, upstairs, uh, which I believe is haunted. It's by a stairwell that everyone says is haunted. I haven't experienced anything, but I'd like to. Um, uh, and I just remember looking around the other comics in the room and like, hey, we're all doing this, right? We're all doing this. And some people were nice. I remember a comic by the name of Lang Parker. She's still out there doing great things. And Lang Parker, she was like, hey, you were really funny. And I just remember it was so sweet because no one talked to me. And everyone's just like, all right, you're next. The host would be like, what's your intro? Cool. They'd mess it up. They didn't care. You do your time. You do your seven minutes and you get out of there. And then you hope you were just funny enough, just funny enough to make the friends you begged and coerced to come out to see you they weren't embarrassed by you. You know, that's what it was. So I didn't, I left, I, I, I stopped performing and I wouldn't go over there even. It wasn't until about four or five years ago after working with Mark Ellis through Schmoes and getting to know him and seeing his growth as a comic. And he says, come out to the comedy store and just hang out, go to the patio, we'll drink, uh, laugh, joke, and start doing that. And I started getting a good feel for just the store itself. Um, uh, the Hollywood Improv is another great spot of mine. I never did shows at the Laugh Factory. It's like you kind of find your vibe, you find your crowd. So I'm excited to go back. And again, it got me thinking of all uh, the memories of stand-up comedy that I've had. The good times, the bad times, and uh, the fact that I'm even doing it again. I 
uh, back in 2014, got to tell a story at my friend Dan Farron's Story Salon show. He did a special one with uh, all stand-up comics sharing their memories and feelings about stand-up comedy. 2014, I think this was when it was all in my rearview mirror. I never thought I was coming back, so it was a great chance to reflect. You can find the complete video up on YouTube, but I thought it'd be... Well, you know, uh, in fact, this is, I think I did even release this entire uh, 11 minute story as a, a Knapsack Files episode back in 2016. Uh, back when actually the feed was starting to die, when I was really busy at Screen Junkies and Knapsack Files. I didn't have episodes for like half a year. So you can go back and listen to that, and maybe some of your older listeners and and you already have, but I've got a uh, you know a bigger number since then, so I want to share part of it. But you can find it in full on my YouTube channel. That's where I'm playing all the clips tonight. So this is my story about stand-up comedy. We'll we'll go through a little bit of it here, and then uh, come out and go to break. And after that, I'll actually share some clips from my time on stage. I told me before the show, I said, just have fun, which is what you don't tell a comic. Because if, if I wanted to have fun, I would have been a garbage man. <laughs> so I'm Ken Napsok. I'm a recovering stand-up comic. I feel I should say that. Right? Stand-up comedy is my most favorite thing to hate. <laughs> uh, which is to say, I love it with all my heart, and I hate myself for it. I started performing stand-up comedy uh, on March 23rd, 2003, in the belly room at the world-famous comedy store. It was dark, it was dank, and it smelled like 1977 cocaine. It still does. You indeed. I started because I was told stand-up comedy, as opposed to its light, fun, more cheery uh, counterpart sketch comedy, would better lead me to fame, respect, and a career. My voice would be heard. I just didn't realize that there was a lot of other voices out there with me. But anyways, I jumped in, I prepared my jokes, or rather began to prepare my jokes, which is one of the hardest things to do in comedy, that, that first set of bits, that first joke, that first organized thought. Because you spent your whole life being one of the funniest people in the room. You talk, people laugh. That's one of the reasons it's always been, and that's one of the reasons you're going to get into stand-up comedy. The other reason is you're lonely. <laughs> and here you are, you're trying to focus all your humor that's been swirling around your head, all those what's the deal beats that have kind of ruled your life and filled your life, they're just waiting to be poured out of your soul and, and get you a half hour special. It's all there, right for the taking. So after five hours of staring at a blank page, the only thing you've come up with is, uh, do we have any uh, cat owners in the house? <laughs> And it is then that moment that you realize that stand-up comedy is not just about being funny. It is an art. It is a job. It is a purpose. It is work. It is a science. And it is most definitely a burden. And one that never goes away. No matter how many times you drive it out into the wilderness and shoot it in its dumb head, it will always come limping back to you. After one of my, uh, side note, after one of my numerous retirements from stand-up comedy, one of my comic pals said to me in all sincerity, what makes you think you're the one that's going to get away? 
<laughs> but back in March of 2003, that was uh, that was all far off, yet to sink in. I was naive and hopeful, ready to collect my writing deal in a sitcom. Oh, so naive, so pure of heart. <laughs> Side note, uh, also when I started stand-up comedy, I had not tasted alcohol. I was sober by choice. Long story, has to do with Jesus. But uh, <laughs> now, I can name you 15 different kinds of Irish whiskey. <laughs> slug out my first set of jokes and put them on paper. I, I rehearsed my bits to a blank wall in my small bedroom. And, and I even, in the audacity of youth, I even inserted pause points where I knew the audience would be laughing. <laughs> Never been on a dance stage, but I was sure I knew where they were going to laugh. In fact, uh, when I timed my first set alone at home in my room, I inserted a spot for an applause break. <laughs> You can imagine, just to, say, to be clear, I was so sure that the audience was going to break into spontaneous clapping because of their appreciation of my jokes that my set would have to be stopped. <laughs> what kind of asshole is the mindset of youth? <laughs> I had no idea at the time that that disinterested and aloof silence of my bedroom wall was probably a more exact approximation of the audience's reaction. As it would be when I performed for a drunk, weary crowd of gamblers at a casino in the Inland Empire, so devoid of joy, I feared I never would smile again. As it would be when I performed at a dive bar in Palmdale that was shut down a week after I performed there because of a double murder. so much the murder as it was that it had happened again. <laughs> as it would be when I performed at a biker bar in Corona, California, in which the rough regulars treated me like I was Pee Wee Herman trying to ask the Hells Angels to be quiet because I was trying to use the phone. As it would be when I performed at an open mic in Westwood filled with the worst kind of audience members imaginable, stand-up comics. <laughs> that silent blank wall in my bedroom gave me more love as a performer than the people of Hermosa Beach one night when they seemed really angry that they had to stop their game of billiards because six dudes from Hollywood were about to tell them jokes about their lack of sex. <laughs> <laughs> that bedroom wall gave me more love than an intoxicated member, audience member at a show in Santa Monica that charged the stage in the middle of my set and started to fight me for the microphone. <laughs> I was in the middle of a bit, I guess it wasn't going that good, the self-loathing wasn't hitting, I was making one too bad for many references to men are like this and women are like this, and he got up and charged the stage and, uh, you know, um, this man felt the undeniable urge to charge the stage, grab the microphone, and fight me for control. And as we battled, and it was a battle, tugging and pulling back and forth, jockeying for control of the microphone like it was that horrible knife fight scene in Saving Private Ryan. Corporal Upham's waiting on the stairwell, and he's going, shh, shh, put the microphone into my heart. We fought, we struggled, and as I felt myself losing my grip on the microphone, I thought to myself, why do I do this? <laughs> Why 
decided I'd punch my way through two hours of traffic to get to this show tonight. A show located in a dirty bar across the street from a shabby hotel that rented rooms by the hour. Why did I sit in my room working hard on my jokes? Why did I get on stage to perform in front of ten uninterested people, two of which that had been there since 3 p.m. because they just started drinking and they didn't want to leave? Why do I subject, subject myself to the constant judgment of an audience? Why do I let my entire existence hinge on what strangers think of me in a small seven-minute chunk of time? Why, why, why? <laughs> So there you have that story I told. You can find it on my YouTube channel, Incomplete, uh, telling a lot of uh, the feelings that are were going through my head for a long time. And that question of why is important. And I do come to that answer in that story, and, and I think I come back to it now. Uh, and I, I'm excited to take this return. And on the other side of this break here on the Saturday Night Special Stand-Up Memory Edition, uh, we're going to share some uh, clips from things I've actually done on the stage and talk about what's to come. We'll uh, see you on the other side. This is the Saturday Night Special here on the Knapsack Files podcast feed. We're back here at the Knapsack Files. I'm going down the stand-up comedy memory lane as I get ready to return to the comedy store for the first time in, well, I can't even remember, over a decade, at least, at least, because that would mean I performed there in 2009, and that wasn't the case. We're talking close to 15 years. That's crazy. Excited to be back here in clips from my storytelling show a few years back. My friend Dan Farron runs, uh, uh, co-runs uh, with Beverly Mickens, a longtime stand-up comic. Dan, Dan as well. Uh, Beverly did stand up in the in New York in the '80s. Larry David was a fan of her work, and I do believe part of in part the character that Vivica Fox played on Kirby Enthusiasm was inspired by her. I don't know as a fact, but it just seems accurate. Uh, so they did that storytelling show about stand up comedy by by stand up comics, and that's where I performed there. And 2014, I, I keep wanting to get back to do stories. Ugh. I always tell Dan, I'll do it next month. It never seems to happen. Don't do that, kids. Set goals and actually do them. My prime stand-up comedy years were 2005 to 2007 with a good year again in 2009 and 2010 before I ended things. Uh, one of many times. Uh, I was hosted regularly. Regularly, 2006 was the year. If you are a fan of a show like Schmoth No or Collider Live, you hear us reference 2006 Harloff, which speaks to the craziness that was Christian Harloff as a stand-up comic at the top of his game in 2006. But all of us, that was our favorite year of comedy. We were close. We were doing shows. We were playing softball on the weekends together, hanging out. It was a great time. And that's where I really grew as a comic, though it was always rough. Uh, the thing about stand-up comedy, like my old improv sketch director said, oh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about things. You have to still, even though you know in your brain what you want to say about things and your point of view on things, you have to know how to say it and how to break free. And I could never, and I admit that, I could never really shake loose my persona, my personality, my confidence. It was always a war every time I took the stage. 
It was a flip of the coin. Some days, man, I hit. It was a home run. Other days, the very next day, the very next show, sometimes the very next minute in the set, something would go wrong and my confidence would poof, just gone, vanish, zap, it was done. And that was the battle for me. And I never quite got that balance. Never, I never won that war. It was always a war inside my head. I'm going to play a little bit of a, of a set I did in uh, 2009, August of 2009. I had come back. I have I have clips. I have I have clips, VHS tapes, even <laughs> uh, dig, weird early digital recordings uh, that are like an old hard drive of stand up of me back in 03 and 04 and 05. And it's painful. Ah, it's painful. It's painful. I mean, people are going to say that anyways, but it's it's bad. Uh, it's it's a lot of things that I want to relive. But I started to find myself a little bit. And it's all about how for me and I'm not saying an expert on this, but how you approach the preparation and the writing of the material or the presentation that leads to the presentation. And I had stepped away for about a year in 08 and I'm going to play a moment where I came back. Uh, I'll play that. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to play that first. Let's call it audible. Omaha, Omaha. I had stepped away for a bit. And when I had done stand up comedy previously, I, uh, couldn't find the, the rhythm on stage. And I tried a lot of different things. And that's not true. As a performer, you got to find it. So that's, that's fine. As a performer, you got to find yourself. But sometimes I felt I was playing stand-up comedy on stage. Let me try tonight like Dane Cook. Let me try tonight like Louis Black. Let me th- see if I can be Dennis Miller. At no point did I try to be myself. And that's a big philosophical conversation. But if you're a young performer out there, especially if you're trying stand-up comedy, that's the thing. You're going to try different styles. You're going to you're going to try, try different approaches. But I literally was like, oh, I'd w- I watched Lewis Black, and I love Lewis Black on, on Daily Show back in the day. I was like, oh, I can get angry like that. Let me try to do that. That's 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 just not true to yourself. Find the way to tell your stories. And one of the best nights I had. We're going to do this. They've talked about it on uh, the show Collider Live, which is a, a weird little mess of a morning show over there on Collider with my pals uh, having fun in the morning. And they've talked about uh, this got brought up. It is a video I have on my YouTube channel called Being Christian Harloff. I released this uh, years ago. Um, but what happened here? So here's the deal. One night, just a true story. We're at Room 5, which is this place that no longer exists, above um, Amalfi Restaurant and uh, next to and attached to Acme Comedy Theater, which has since moved. The whole place is closed. Amalfi Restaurant is a great Italian restaurant. Great pizza. Oh, my God. Great mac and cheese. I loved it. Uh, co-owned by Adam uh, Carolla, uh, uh, um, uh, Jimmy. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, um <laughs> Why is that slipping my mind? Jimmy Kimmel. Wow. Wow. We're doing this late at night, I guess. Adam Carolla, Jimmy Kimmel, some other people co-own this great Italian restaurant in Malfi. And upstairs was room five. And every week and uh, for a long time, also on Sunday nights, we'd all get together. My pal Chip Dornell, who I did a lot of video work with. He was there. He ran the sound, but he's a great a writer and a comic as well. Mark Franco would book the shows. And we, we were up there. So we'd see, see each other every week. And one night, 
uh, in about 2006 or seven range, late 2006 at the earliest, my pal Christian Harloff comes up. And he was like, well, when Christian went on stage, he, he, he nailed it every time and, and all the people loved him. And he was like the kind of the star of our weekly shows. And he just came up to me one night. He's like, I don't want to go up. Oh, I'm just standing there. And I wasn't hosting. I wasn't, didn't even set that night. I was just hanging out. He's like, you want to, you want to take my spot? Just meaning, do you want me to step, uh, you know, I would step in and just do my, my set in the slot that was reserved for Christian. I was like, I don't know. I don't want to go up tonight either. I'm, I'm good. He's like, I, I really, and he's like, I really don't want to do this. I forget the reasons why, but whatever. He's like, I don't want to do this. So he says, why don't you go up and do my set? We, one of, I, I can't, we came to that conclusion and maybe at the same time, I was like, oh, now that's fun. Now that I will do. So he always wore a beanie and took his beanie. I think I took my friend Mike Beatrice's hoodie and I squeezed into it. Mike, uh, a little smaller than I. And again, the video's up on YouTube. My friend Lou was hosting. And the audience, of course, doesn't know. No, most people don't know. Uh, there might be some regulars, but there's a lot of comics in the audience. My friend Chip's in the back. And again, Lou's hosting, but we didn't tell Lou Santini. We didn't even tell Mark and, and uh, his girlfriend at the time, Dessa, who was running the shows. We just like, let's just do this. We're so we're regulars here. We'll, we'll take the hit if they don't like it. And without any preparation, I went up and did Christian's set from memory as best I could. I'm going to play it here, but uh, so there's some rough patches where I'm trying to remember it, quite frankly. But this is how much we're around each other. We could do each other's jokes and hit the big points. But there was a lesson I learned in it from the other side. But I'm going to play a little bit of it here. Again, the host, Lou, my good friend Lou Santini, did not know. He thought he was introducing the real Christian Arloff. Here we go. He's like, that all you got? Ribs and more. So here we go. Uh, you're going to love this guy. He's uh, just one of the, uh, the regulars here at White Boy Comedy, working on the, uh, a short film project coming up here. And you may have seen him in the uh, short film The Samurai Within. Give it up for Christian Harloff, everybody. Christian! <laughs> That's a lot of the comics recognizing in what's happening. Well, fun tonight? Fun? Good show, huh? Well, come out, huh? Have people asked you to come out tonight? What you tell them? You, you don't go to a comedy show? Yeah, you tell you when people come to you like, hey, what are you doing Friday? What are you doing Friday? I don't know. You know what you know tell them? What are you doing Friday? I don't know. This. Okay. 
now, but it's beanie, this long showman beanie I wear every week. Um, I was in a relationship. I was in a relationship for like four years. Uh, my girlfriend, she made me healthy. I eat like veggie chips. What the fuck are veggie chips? I don't even know what fucking veggie chips are. Like, what do they make them out of? Like foil, tin foil? Put paint on them? I don't know. So we broke up. First thing I did, I rushed to the Taco Bell. I broke in, I was like Al Pacino off heat. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! <laughs> I, uh, I spent a lot, I, I like homeless people. I live in, because they live in Hollywood. You see homeless people? I like homeless people. I think, I think that, look, I know there's some bad things. You gotta sleep in a box, you sleep pissing in an alley, everyone, why it's funny. But I, I think there's some good things. I like to walk down the street. Just walking along, I don't know, you talk about like nuclear physics and strawberry shortcake, no one's gonna bother you. Huh? Huh? And you get away with things, you know, I was I saw a homeless guy, he was he was messing about. It was like the, hey, I turned to a cop, I was like, that guy's fucking a mailbox. He's like, it's Ted, it's Tuesday. It's I think here's what you do, you put you take all the homeless people and you like put them in a in a, in a big house and you throw up some cameras, there's your next reality show. Joe Shitpants. That's what you do. Like, cause you watch reality shows, like they have all the, uh, they have all the uh, confessionals, it's all boring, you know, you have your confessionals, like, uh, I don't know, I'm gonna form an alliance with Ted, Ted, I'm gonna put Ted off, Ted, I'm gonna put 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 Ted, I'm gonna go fishing for crabs, I don't know, I don't know. You wouldn't get that in your shit pants. That's what you get. Shoes! <laughs> That's my friend Chip in the back. Uh, I messed up Christian's big punchline, and uh, they got it got it by head. So more's there. That is on my YouTube channel under the title "Being Christian Harloff." You actually hear Christian in the beginning just going "Beautiful, beautiful." That that time on stage taught me a lot as a performer, and so. Why I just said, hey, you know, if you're a young comic, a uh, young performer, don't go around pretending to be someone else. Find your own voice. I was literally pretending to be Christian Harloff, but in that moment, I found something. And what it was was confidence and a shield and playing a character on stage that is yourself. And again, uh, this is sometimes directions that go that goes in two different ways here or, or advice that goes in two different ways. Uh what I unlocked that night was because I wasn't worried about my material. I wasn't worried about myself. And those confidence issues I had before as a performer weren't there. I couldn't mess up. I was another person. And Christian always joked that, well, it's, you know, my material. It was just funnier. And at the time, that was probably true. But it took me to another place as a performer, a place of no fear. That's where you got to get. Now, a good healthy fear, some nervousness, walking that wire, that's fine. But... It's an internal fear, uh, a fear that can control you as a performer. That's what I lost in that moment. But sadly, I didn't build on it, and I walked away from stand-up comedy a while later, uh, lost in my own depression, lost in my own doubt. Oh, that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous thing. We don't want that. None of us want that. Uh, but I had some good times, some good memories, 
Uh, I'll play a little clip of right now of some things I actually did. This is from uh, an old little highlight, not even a reel. Let's put some highlights together, some sketches, some early pro wrestling stuff. It's buried deep on my YouTube channel, but you can find it there. And I actually uh, was okay at times. Here it is. I'm in LA. Uh, two things happen. You got to be single. It's part of your contract. And at some point in your life, you have to tell VH1 what you thought about 1987. <laughs> <laughs> is this a joke? It's like some kind of. I feel like I'm on MySpace. Oh, now there's a spotlight. I don't just get the light. I get the spotlight. That's not just end your set. That's end your career. Nice <laughs> 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 try. I'll tell you why I can't have a successful relationship. I have a fear of vaginas. Uh, I never quite got over the fact that a vagina looks like Lando Creason's co-pilot from Return of the Jedi. <laughs> What's funny about that last clip there is I almost got banned from the Hollywood Improv for doing that. I was hosting a show, and there was a pretty uh, fun woman in the front crowd with a group of friends. It was her birthday. She was celebrating, and she was already drunk. And I ran out to the bartender, Eddie's. Eddie, give me a couple shots of tequila or, or whiskey, I believe it was. And uh, it was, all right, great. Uh, no, it was tequila. She'd been drinking whiskey. Um so I'm mixing alcohols. I was a young drinker then. I didn't know. And I came back up and that what you heard, I was actually in the crowd just riffing with her and finding just finding the vibe, improv and finding it. It was a great moment. Great moment. And uh, I did the shot with her and then promptly got yelled out when I after I brought up the next comic. Um, don't do that, young performers there. There's some clips of stuff there uh, as I had it. But I, I, I couldn't stay away. And that's the thing is I go into this next performance at the Comedy Store uh, in this year. I, I, once it's in your blood, it doesn't go away and it shouldn't go away. And that's maybe one of the lessons that I have to take. Yeah, I can get stubborn. I can get afraid. And that's what happened with stand-up comedy to me. I just got afraid. But one of my best moments, I actually returned. I returned at one point, and I put a clip up on It's on my YouTube channel. I don't know why. Uh, but my friend Adam Harrington, who's a great actor, sketch performer, and comic, I was just having an off night as the host. And, and I just said, hey, can I, like, fire you on stage and come over to do a bit? And Christian was there kind of trying to get me back into comedy and was like, yeah, do it, do it, do it. And and it never goes away. The crowd listening had no real idea. Well, the crowd in attendance had no idea who I was. But again, this unlocked something. It was part of my part of my eventual return in 2009. It is never really done. I've never done drugs. But this is like that hit. So here I come up on stage. Fire poor Adam. I've been fired. Okay, here you go. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Ken Eskok. Some of you don't know me. I was a regular host here at Room 5 for 18 years. 
I retired on July 17th, 2007. It's a good thing I was back in the building. Don't worry, the mess that was Adam Harrington is gone forever. We've lived through it. He's in a better place now. Don't cry for him anymore. You think it's easy, though. You sit out there, you think it's easy. You make a couple jokes at work, and you're like, I'm pretty funny. Then you come here, the lights are on, yeah, Jody's making drinks. Mark Franco's in the back telling you, you're done. It's not that easy, people. It's a hard gig to come up being comic. Because if the truth of the matter is, all of us up here, we're ten times funnier than any of you could ever be. But we bomb up here once, and you see us on the street, and you go, there's that unfunny asshole. Saw him at room five above Amalfi on a cold night in January of 08. He ain't funny. But let's bring someone who thinks he's funny up to the stage now. Yeah, it's the best part of hosting, you have to lie. I've known this guy for 12 years. We went to elementary school before. Bart Tan Goody. shot but never seen due to the writer's strike. Ruined all of our careers, but I love him nonetheless. He's very funny. He's a regular all around town. He loves pro wrestling like me. We're nerds like that. Please welcome my friend, the very funny Christian Harlow. There you go. Bring Christian up on stage back in 08. What that little moment unlocked for me and and it got me thinking was I went up there just as a as a joke. Uh Adam uh, my friend was a was a good sport about the joke and I went up there with nothing planned, and I'd never really done that on stage before. And a couple times I'd done it as a comic, of course. Uh, a couple times I tried that as a comic, I failed miserably. One night in particular comes to mind. I tried to do some jokes about air travel, not like hacky jokes, but this experience I had on a flight, and just like it was so bad. It was it was like so bad. It was experimental. Like you could have taped it as an art piece, but not in a funny way. It was like the breaking of a soul on stage, and so that unlocked the, another thing too. So the Christian being Christian Harloff uh, unlocked a, a sense of of what no fear feels like on stage. That uh, unlocked me not being trapped into the words I had prepared, and that's one of the things. Uh, there's some comics who are scripted down to the word and you can't tell, but they're not locked to them. It doesn't feel that way. And early on in my performing career, that open mic that has been mentioned both by me and then in the story here, it was, I was memorized to every beat and then I would rehearse it. And then, yeah, this is where the laugh's going to come. And I'd wait for the laugh. And then when it doesn't come, you're thrown off your game and the fear and the confidence problem reemerges. So I, I started to learn in those two incidents, uh, those incidents, well, those two moments, are uh, forever etched in my brain as lessons as a performer. I was never spectacular during that great run. I feel I'm better now because all of it is falling into place. It's still a journey, though. Uh, I'm going to play one clip from uh, that, uh, what I was talking about from August 09, and you'll see what I mean. There's some okay funny stuff when I'm feeling it as a performer. When you are, as a young performer, feeling it, you feel the energy from the audience, and that's when that confidence emerges. That's why you always say you, you just got to get that first laugh. And I don't like to waste time. Brian Regan is one of the best comics when it comes to, and he's just one of the best comics, but he's one of the best comics when it comes to getting on stage and getting a laugh quick, sometimes within seconds. Now, hey, how you doing? I see a lot of comics doing that. Hey, how you doing? How you all doing tonight? What's going on? And that can go well. I've uh, I've seen Mark Ellis do that too. Uh, a home run, a game-winning home run degree. Uh, some comics, great crowd work. But I see a lot of comics, they do it, they feel they have to or feel they need to or feel them getting their rhythm. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Where are you from? Nah, 
You're performing as you walk to the stage. You're performing as you grab that mic, and you got to learn that. And that's where I think I am now. I'm going to play a little bit of this clip here, uh, not because I think it's an example of how funny I was, but how I grew as a performer and how I want to grow. And also, yeah, if you want to hear what I sounded like in August of 2009, uh, just over 10 years ago, this is that. Uh, had a weird day, that's why I'm a little hyper. Weird day. Got described as husky today. Is this it? Is that the one we're going with? Is that the word? Husky? Is that the one? Okay. Because I'll, I'll take I'll take fat. I'll take bloated. I'll take sober Matthew Perry. Describe the kid in elementary school that wore a cape and smelled like pee, isn't that? That's him. That's him. Alright, it's cool. Don't ask me how I know this, but there's a line of female underwear at Walmart called Secret Treasures. Secret Treasures. Secret Treasures. I'd love to have been there for that marketing meeting. Alright, people, we've got to name this. I want ideas and I want them fast. start being honest. Right. Look at her baby, huh? Congratulations. Uh, what are you having? An old world atlas? <laughs> Doesn't even look human. You can name it. You can name it Rand McNally? What are you Stupid married couple. Throw it back in their face. So there you go. I, I used to get some last kids. I used to get them. Uh, you can see, though, the style. It's there. It's flowing, but it's locked in. And if I got knocked off that rhythm, uh, then it didn't work. Uh, and, and then it would get in my head. And I think that's what's got to change. That's what has to change. And that's what I'm excited to tackle next. Stand-up comedy, it is truly something deep in my heart. I love it. I hate it. I don't watch a lot of it. I get that question all lot. What is your favorite comics? I, I don't know. I, I don't watch comedy. Part of the reason is as a regular host, I used to see 10 to 15 comics a night. And my friends would do their sets, have fun, and then they'd hit the bar, hit the streets, hit downstairs, hit on girls, get hit on by uh, other folks, and uh, I'd be upstairs with the comics. And, and not every comic is a legend. And it just burnt me out on actually listening to stand-up comedy there. So I'm excited to go back to this. And some of you got to see me in San Francisco. Some of you got to see me in Houston. But this this is going to be different. This is at a venue where I once had a lot of fear attached to the idea of performing at this venue. This is uh, not an entirely friendly crowd, though it will be mostly positive. Uh, this is going to be a great experience. And it got me thinking. And uh, that's... 
the dangerous thing. And for this Saturday night special, I hope you enjoyed my little look back on stand-up comedy, my growths, my failures, and oh, there were an immense amount of failure. And that's one of the lessons of being a performer, but particularly a stand-up comic. You have to leave the previous performance behind. Good or bad, leave it there. Learn what you need to learn. Enjoy it for what it is. Don't take it too deep into your heart and keep going. Get back on stage, and I'm going to get back on stage very soon, and I'll share the results, and we'll see where this takes me. This has been Saturday Night Special here on the Knapsack Files podcast feed. Uh, we got some housekeeping to take care of. Uh, you can go to KenNapsack.com to get information on where some of those shows are, uh, some appearances, including ones with Millennium Pro Wrestling. Getting back, we had a great show Friday night. Fun being there, selling books uh, over there. Why We Love Star Wars is available a lot of places, but including audiobook right now. That format is out there with me reading it. Check on it. See if you want something, uh, want to hear my voice talking about Star Wars uh, again and again in your ears uh, that's out there uh, I want to thank everyone on my Patreon page the high tier supporters the executive producers DJ Snacks Real Snacks Attack Thomas Risling Lethal Logan X Matthew Simon Bador Matt Thompson Tamor Abdul and Rafe the brothers Buddha Donald Long, Nathan Ovendale, Zach Anderson, who's a young stand-up comic himself out there in Wisconsin doing it, and Ty Schallenberger, my old friend. Ty uh, sent me a cool little gift this week to uh, the uh, mailbox we have for the Knapsack Files, uh, which is on my website if you want to send something out. But he sent out a Star Wars Kama Sutra book. It is not official. Definitely not Lucasfilm approved. But... Hey, you know, you can learn some things. So thanks, Ty, for that. Thank you for everyone who supports me at patreon.com slash kednapsock. I cannot do it without you. And we'll see what happens after I get back on stage and tell them jokes. Thank you for hanging out with me on this Saturday night special edition of the Knapsack Files. Knapsack Files.